You're listening to the Future Composer Podcast, a show that empowers composers, musicians, and artists with knowledge. Now, here's your host, John Presley. Miriam Cutler is an award-winning and Emmy-nominated composer with an impressive catalog of independent film and TV projects. Her passion for documentary film and teaching others has made her one of the most respected voices in the industry. In June 2013, Miriam was chosen by her peers to join the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences as a member of the documentary branch. She's a composer, a musician, and someone who cares deeply about music and how it can inspire and inform others through documentary film. Miriam, welcome to the Future Composer Podcast. It's great to talk with you today. I'm actually crying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) thank you. That's a very nice intro. Well, let's talk about um, your day creating music, your perfect day creating <laughs> music. You wake up, I'm guessing you have a home studio from what it looks yeah. like, and yeah, there it is. you get the chance to sit down, everything's going right, no phone calls, <laughs> you're just creating. And tell me what that perfect day looks like for you. Well, it's interesting, you know, because I really kind of break up my projects into three categories, you know, uh, three periods. The writing period is by far my favorite. Because it's just me and my thoughts. I've had my meetings with the director. We've talked about the film. I've felt the film. I'm responding to the film. And, you know, I I do collaborate with my filmmakers. We talk periodically if I have questions. So writing is my favorite. So on a perfect writing day, I come in and, and there's no surprises. My studio just works. None of the computers have crashed during the night. You know, I don't get any crazy errors, you know, and, and things just... I just load up my machines and, you know, put in all the plugs. And sometimes I spend a lot of time looking for inspiring sounds that just have a vibe that I feel like would go with this film. I always buy new stuff, new sounds before I start a project, just because it's sort of, um, it kind of just inspires me, you know, like to get, to get to hear different things. And there's so many really interesting, now that we have this whole global community, creating sounds for these plugins like contact and stuff. You know, you just have access to such great ideas. And so um, I love to spend time, you know, just kind of cruising around. I always get emails from all the different companies. So I check out a lot of new sounds and that's really fun. And then I load them up and then I, you know, it's like this blank slate. Sometimes I've got a lot of, of, ideas from the filmmakers about what kind of music they've tempted with something they actually really like we've analyzed it try to figure out what it is about it you know how close do I have to get and then I just sit down and one of the things I've noticed over the years and I think in some ways you know as I've been a a composer for like really about 25 years before that I was more of a musician writer you know like a songwriter and and a record producer kind of and I've stopped playing music, you know, I just don't have any energy to play music and I've lost most of my chops. So when I sit down to play, I'm really not very good. (laughs) I can't play very many things. And so, but I have, everything's flowing in my mind, you know, I just can't play it. So I usually sit down, my sounds are loaded and then I touch the keyboard and I hear something and then it just starts. It's like a big jam session. So it's just like if I sat down in a group full of musicians, you know, we were going to play, somebody starts and then people join in. And that's really my thing. Now, I know that you love sitting down at the keyboard, working with those new sounds, but I also know that you love working with real musicians, getting them in the studio and creating scores that are authentic. 
So let's talk about collaborating and creating with others in a studio environment. What's your philosophy on that? What is your process like? Well, I think, you know, what I've come to understand, it took me a long time, but what I've come to understand is that I am an artistic person. And I think I share that with other artistic people. You know, some people, you know, when you're creative, there's creative and artistic and whatever form that creativity takes. And part of the thrill of being creative, I mean, yes, there's an outpouring of my own ideas, but what's really fun is to be in a room with somebody else that's like me and see what they do with that, you know, and, and get their take on it. And, you know, while the lead composer really has to keep, I have to keep my eye on the ball, I have to make sure, just like a film director, I have to make sure that the music stays within the world it's supposed to be in, because we can easily be seduced, which... You know, all my years as a musician, I loved going to jam sessions and just seeing what happened, you know. And here you have to allow for that, but you also have to contain it and make sure, because we have limited time and money, and we have a deadline usually, you know, that, that we have to accomplish this. So there takes it, it takes to keep that creative spirit and also to understand the discipline involved in getting something done. Um, that's a challenge, you know, but part of what, you know, I think mutual respect for other people and their creativity and their humanness, you know, like, you know, I've learned a long time ago that I have the ability to work, not as much anymore, but when I was young, I could work 14 hours, you know, I could go without sleep, and, and a lot of composers are like that, we're just A-type people, but not everybody's like that, and I might have a really great musician come in, and he's really only good for a couple of hours, you know, and then he's done, or some of my musicians sleep late, I'm an early riser, I want to have my sessions at 8 a.m., and they're like, oh, I can't do it till 1, you know. <laughs> So, I mean, you have to learn to work with others, and to get the results you want, you can't force them into your, your reality, you know. You have to weigh, weigh things and figure out how to make it work. And so, I think even as a young musician, when I, I was pretty much most of my career a, a band leader, I just always fall into that role because I've got tons of ideas and I'm ready to just do it. But I had to learn the hard way that not everybody was on my same energy level. <laughs> And I got thrown out of my own band, you know, things like that, <laughs> that people didn't want to work with me, you know, so I really had to learn to find some kind of, you know, it, balance to me is probably not balanced to most people, but you do have to come to terms with that if you're going to work with others. And I, fortunately, I, my drive and my desire to work with others outweighs my narcissism. So I find ways to, you know, I found ways to adapt myself to be able to work well with others. But it was a learning curve. Okay, so let's talk about why you got into scoring documentary films. I know that you had a lot of different options. You went down different paths till you got to, to finding that point. But I wondered how you got to that point in your life where you realized that that is something that you wanted to do as opposed to just scoring, you know, a kid's video game or something that's, <laughs> oh, there's, uh, that's perfectly fine. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. But... You've done something that, that maybe is a little more meaningful. Tell me how you got to that point. It's been a very long and windy journey. You know, I, I think that um, I've, I've had to really, you know, I'm the kind of person that can't pretend. Like, people make fun of me that I can't hide any feelings. I can't lie. I can't, you know, it just I just can't. You know, it just pours out of me. I just So you have to, you know, I've, over the years I, I had to learn who I am and what I need, you know. And what I realized was that I can't live some other person's idea of success. Even though, I, you know, I'm only human. I mean, would I like to be rich? Would I like to be adored and, you know, admired and given these great gigs? And just like anybody else. But 
uh, unfortunately, the price is just too high for me. I have to totally be myself and live my values. And so it, it really started, you know, I was never going to be a musician. It wasn't really, my family's very musical, but nobody took it seriously as a career. I mean, my brother was very musical and he was discouraged. He was in a jazz band when he was young. So I never really considered it even as a career. And the other thing is I did try to study it in college, but I, I started off as a music major and hated my first music class. So I switched to anthropology, which I really loved, and I did that for, I went to, I graduated in anthropology and I went to grad school. And while I was in college, I became very aware of a lot of, you know, I became very interested in social justice and, you know, righting the wrongs of the world. And I was involved in all different kinds of things, you know, and, and activities. And so I, I eventually left grad school because I wanted to be more, I wanted to do something more useful. And I worked as a public interest researcher for about three years, which I was really happy. I loved doing it. But in the meantime, I was in bands. I had three bands going at the same time. So I've always had this kind of, you know, this split in my life. And, um, and one day I woke up and the other side went out. And I just really, even though I loved my work I was doing, it was really, we were doing some very important stuff, you know. Um, I was working for these public interest lawyers. And then I just wanted to play music all day. And so that's what I did for another, that started me on my musician journey, being in bands, writing songs, and having a very hard time making a living. <laughs> but performing a lot, and, and even one of my bands was a feminist band, and we did a lot of you know stuff with the women's movement and traveled around, and that was when the whole second wave of feminism was happening. And so, you know, it always really connected in for me. And, uh, but when I tried to make it as a songwriter, I realized, you know, that you have to write pop songs and I've never really been that interested in pop culture. So I tried, you know, I did give it a try and then I ended up just giving up and I decided I, I used to have this feeling that music was trying to kill me, that my <laughs> desire to make music was going to actually kill me if I didn't do something about it. So I ended up getting a job at a singing telegram company <laughs> and, you know, and so I, I, I really found new, I actually learned a lot of new skills there, which was business. Like I didn't have any interest in business. My dad was a super successful businessman, really good at it, tried to just pound it into me and I hated it from the beginning. I didn't want any part of it. So here I was kind of selling entertainment and writing it, creating it and selling it, you know, and so it worked out really well and then I was in this band and we ended up playing in a club and the club had us four nights a week and then I quit my job you know and it was all like that meanwhile writing songs and building my studio so I think it's a very long and windy road I didn't really find myself you know I, I then I was having I, I actually like I told you before I was having I was solvent I was making a good living as a music producer scoring bad movies doing industrials and live entertainment. I still had my band and it was working. So I was making a living, but after about 10 years of that, I, and, oh, and I was building my studio and developing my chops because that's when home studios really came in as well. And so, you know, all this analog stuff in my garage. So I, I really spent that 10 years, that was like going to film school for me. You know, I learned my craft and I had lots of experience and I was able to create on deadlines and, and one day I woke up and I said, if this is it, I'm, I've got to do something else. I just can't do this. You know, it doesn't mean anything to me. And then I met this filmmaker named Arthur Dong, and he told me about this film he was doing. It was called License to Kill, and it was about 
he was just going into prisons and interviewing men who had murdered gay men and because they thought that that was okay. They thought God wanted them to. And he wanted to understand why they thought that was okay. And I just, it just floored me. So I worked with him on that film and we went to Sundance. And that's when my life really changed. I mean, that's when I saw clearly what my path was. I met all, it won two awards at Sundance. I met all these doc filmmakers. I realized there was this whole other world I didn't know about of people that felt the way I do about the world and shared values and wanted to do something about justice. And, and so that became, I mean, I, I, instead of giving up, I just started to focus on that. How am I going to meet these people? How am I going to get more work like that? And I really stopped pursuing anything else. You know, it sounds like you've really balanced that road of creativity versus stress by doing it, by going through those hard times. And there's so much work that goes into the business side of composing, but you have to focus on making great music as well. So currently, you know, now you've got a lot of films that you work on. You're probably turning down projects. I am. How do you walk? More than I can do. (laughs) So how do you walk that tightrope successfully of creativity versus stress? Oh my God. That's a great question. And that's been my theme for many, many years. I think every person, every working composer, who works in media with deadlines and ridiculous amounts of workload. We all understand this very well. You know, I got to tell you, I mean, I have to get a little personal for a second because, you know, for all these years, I created my life around my work. You know, my home life was around my work. My work did home, so I was able to at least be at home, you know, and I never had kids. And, um, you know, and I had a very understanding partner and, um, you know, it wasn't always easy, but it was doable. But, you know, she died last year of cancer. And I tell you, it puts a lot of things into perspective. And um, after 25 years, you know. So wow. I'm sorry I, to hear I, that. I, yeah, thank you. And I have to really, um, I had, you know, it, it's sort of, I mean, while she was sick for four years, I was already learning about, talk about stress, you know, trying to keep up my work with all that going on is very stressful. So now I kind of look at it, you know, I look around me and I think about, I'm not sorry for anything I've done because it got me where I wanted to be. You know, it really did. It takes incredible amount of hard work and dedication to function and succeed as a film composer. I don't think there's any way you can do it half-assed, you know. It really takes everything you have because not only are you giving physically the hours and the, the amount of work it takes and mentally focusing on it because you have to somehow under all that stress maintain your creativity and somehow learn to protect it which is something that I've really had to focus on because you can get so stressed out that you literally can't think straight or so exhausted that you literally can't think straight and this particular profession requires so many skill sets and so many hours of just dedicated focus that there's no way to do it if you can't figure out how to um, how to uh, balance all that, you know what I mean? Because you also don't want to get sick. Like, I mean, I, used, I just was perpetually exhausted for 20 years. I can't think of a time I wasn't exhausted. Never took vacations. Um, and I'm, like I say, I'm not sorry I did it, but it does give me pause to think about things now in reflecting. You know, I can look back on my life. I feel very good about everything I've done. And the choices that I've made, but I, I can also look ahead and think, well, maybe I can do things a little differently now, you know. So it's kind of, you have to be, I feel like you, 
for me, I've had to develop a spiritual side to really be able to maneuver all this stuff. Right. Well, it sounds like the consistent theme through your life and through your career is that dedication to improve and to figure out how to do things better and and even now to figure out how you're going to be better with your time and better as a composer and um, better on that spiritual side and all those things. So um, I really admire that because there is that that pressure in any job, no matter what it is, to just work, 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 work 24-7. And there's obviously so much more to life than that. But you obviously have no regrets about about doing that. But now you figure out just as you've progressed with your music, now you're going to progress in these other areas. So I think there's a lot to learn from that. Um, I think that's great. Let's talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts of scoring docs. There's so many different types of documentaries and so many different ways that they use music from a lot of score to no score at all. So what are some general principles? I know that's a wide question. What are some general principles you can share about scoring documentaries? Well, first, first I would say that first and foremost is the needs of the film and the authenticity because where we really differ from doing a fiction film, this film is about real people and real things that are happening and sometimes it's very dangerous for the people in the film. Sometimes it's very emotionally devastating for the people in the film. Um, and so the, the filmmakers have, feel a tremendous responsibility to, for authenticity and, and ethical uh, approaches. And those are big discussions in the documentary community, the ethics of this filmmaking. Because sometimes your film, you know, you're getting a great scene, but to get that great scene, there's a cost to the people in the scene. And so I think I take that very seriously, and I feel very strongly that the music must absolutely serve the film as perfectly as is possible. And so I work very hard with the director to try to discover what that would, what, what would do that for each film. And, you know, you can't be attached to ideas. You can't be attached to your own needs or your own desires. And certainly I would never want to put myself out in front of a film publicity-wise because these films carry so much more responsibility with them, the stories they're telling. So that's a big, to me, I feel very um, responsible about my participation in documentaries. I feel like I have to really, you know, I often look to my filmmaker to help me understand the whole situation and how can I best serve and fit into that situation. So it's not like I'm thinking about career building and stuff, you know, it's like um, then the next thing is, you know, that said, the kind of music, that's one of the reasons I've really really, really maintain my commitment to using live musicians. I just feel that, you know, I've done experiments on myself even where, you know, you can listen. If you, like, sometimes my mock-ups are really good. And I understand, I mean, I've had filmmakers want me to use the mock-up instead of the live musicians. And I can understand why that might happen because it's so much more controlled and defined. But that's the very reasons why live musicians make a huge difference. Because there you have this this sort of, more lighter human feeling you know you have a feeling you have transparency in the sonic textures there's just so many things there's surprises things that you don't expect that in a good way and so you know everything I do in terms of the score from composition through recording I try to keep my eye on that ball you know what is the most authentic organic least uh, disruptive 
what will really support what the filmmaker is trying to do here, you know. And so um, I've really, you know, I mean, I think that um, it's changed the way that I approach working on a film, too. I, I spend a lot more time at the very beginning trying to figure out what we're going to, you know, what's our palette, what's our emotional tone, what's going to be the building blocks we're going to use to create the score. Whereas I, you know, I used to get a gig and then you zip through, you try to get your ideas out, maybe they'll take them all, you know, you hope that they'll take everything. Whereas now I really look at it more like, let's focus now and find the exact right tone because you can calibrate, just the smallest little tweaks can really shift the meaning. And when you put music on picture, it changes the meaning of the picture. There's just no way around it. It's having a huge effect. So you want to make sure that it's staying with the, you know, crystal clarity of the vision of the director. Otherwise, you're polluting the film. And um, and so I embrace the process. I had to learn about that. That was a, you know, I think when you when you're young, you you just start. You just want to show everybody how great you are and how much you can do. And I can do this. I can do that. I can do anything you want. And as I've gotten older, I've realized, you know, it's really, you know, there's not a goal-oriented thing here. you got to love the process or you're in the wrong profession because it's a collaborative profession. So, you know, I, sometimes when I hear young, young composers talking about, oh, I hate my director, he's so mean, he's so this, he's so, he doesn't know what's good. You know, and I just say, hey, you know, <laughs> go make a record <laughs> exactly. of your own music. As we start to wrap up, I'd love for you to give me some parting advice for composers who are interested in documentary film, scoring nonfiction film. I know there's not one path, one secret to doing it, but just curious, I'm sure people ask you this, composers, musicians, people who want to get in the field, what would be your advice to them? I can only speak for myself. You know, I've, I see my work in docs as more of an avocation than a than a, than a um, career. I mean, I, I really, you know, it's not a career where you're going to make a lot of money and get famous and be John Williams, you know, you're not going to have that career. But uh, I do feel that I've been able to live an artist's life, which for me is more important because of, of who I am. I just don't function well in that other reality and it wouldn't really satisfy me. So I, I think my main advice to people is really search your soul and, and be aware that you can create a career or a life's work that's built around who you are, not around some other path somebody else took, you know, because really there is no one path anymore. I mean, there's only a few slots up there in, in the, you know, ionosphere. <laughs> the rest of us are just like, I'm a blue collar worker. I'm a schmo, you know, I, I'm just a hard working independent doing my thing, but at least I'm happy doing it. And so I say, find what makes you happy and do it. If writing music for any reason makes you happy, then you'll you you know you'll be able to switch around and do a lot of different things. If if there's specific things that please you more, like writing concert music, but especially now, there's no guarantee that the careers that exist right this minute are going to exist in the next five years. So you better be flexible. You have to really get out there and look around and see what's happening, because my career isn't even going to be available anymore. It's going to be different. You know, I mean. When I was coming up, there were all these careers that don't exist anymore, like working in um, mid-level mid television, you know, and there were, you know, so I mean, it's, it's constantly a changing field and you have to be able to look a little bit ahead 
And put, I always try to put myself where there's no line. You know, like, I don't want to stand in line. I want to just go over here because nobody's over here. You know, so, you know, but you have to be pretty, uh, you know, self-sufficient, independent, and, and have some vision about what you're trying to do. Well, I think you picked the right line because you've had a great, great <laughs> career, and I'm sure that you're going to adapt to whatever is coming down the line. So. <laughs> as long as I'm alive. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I just, I really appreciate you taking time and talking with me and just, there's so much great stuff in that for people to unpack. And I appreciate you giving us the personal side as well, because that's what uh, we can really learn from as, as people to, and as artists to adapt and change and figure out what we yeah. want to do in the world with our, with our talent. So um, yeah. just look forward to hearing a lot more from me in the future and uh, talking to you again soon. Okay. Thanks a lot. It's really nice to talk to you and stay in touch. All right. We'll do. Thank you. You've been listening to the Future Composer Podcast. For more podcast episodes and in-depth articles, visit futurecomposer.com. To learn more about our host, visit johnpresleymusic.com.